There's so much going on in our church right now. I thought of this passage in Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, where basically God tells Moses to throw down the most important thing in his life. And I think God does that to us. Before he calls us to do something, before he enables us to do something great, he asks us to give him that which we hold dear. And it comes time to either do what he tells us to do or not. And it's a crisis of belief. Exodus 4, verse 2 says this. Oh, I'm going to start with verse 1. Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put, on, put out your hand and take it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God told him to take the rod in his hand and throw it down. It became a serpent. God told him to take it by the tail and pick it up, and it became his rod once more. I think in that process, God was testing Abraham to see if he would be willing to lay down that which he held dear. Bow with me. Father, I wonder what you would call us to do, what we would be able to do as a church, as families, as individuals, if we would just lay down our most valued possessions. Reveal to us in the coming moments what we hold so dear that it interferes with our love for you and your leadership in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Moses has got to be one of the most interesting people in the Old Testament. We know bits and pieces about him, but most of us still think he looks like Charlton Heston. And so I want to talk about Moses this evening and his experience with God. Consider this story of Moses on Mount Sinai. It's his very first encounter with God. He is a man, once lieutenant, once the son of the most powerful man in the civilized world, and now he has been deposed to the rank of shepherd, which is one of the lowest jobs. You know how they felt about sheep and how unclean they were and how only shepherds were um, just set aside to the periphery of society. To make matters worse, I guess to heap insult on injury, he was working for his father-in-law. But this moment he comes face to face with Almighty God, which most people would assume would bring instant death because no man has seen God and lived. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. What's that in your hand, Moses? Gotta remember Moses stuttered. It's my, 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 my shepherd's staff. Throw it down. Now, this isn't just a stick that Moses happened to pick up one afternoon and start playing with. It's not just a walking stick. The rod or the staff, as the scriptures call it, was essential for a shepherd to make his living. It was his tool. It had a crooked end 
that he used to pull the sheep back into the herd when they strayed or to, to raise them up from uh, a crevice or over the, uh, a little ledge of a cliff. There was a handy extension of their arm to grasp things just beyond their reach. And it also had a blunt end, which was also important. If a wild animal attacked, the shepherd would use that and, and poke the animal away. He could use his staff like a baseball bat and beat back offenders if necessary. So his staff was something he used to make a living. It was his tool for staying alive. No shepherd would, it was like an American Express card, no shepherd would leave home without it. It was indispensable, essential, vital to the everyday life of a shepherd. Throw it down, Moses. For all Moses knew, God was telling him to get rid of his shepherd's staff forever. He might never see it again. And it was a good staff. It had just the right grip, the, the kind of flex, the, the weight for the swing that he needed. He liked it. He was accustomed to it. He had had it for years, perhaps. And he had fond memories attached to that staff. The wild animals he had beaten off, the sheep he had saved, the comfort and support it gave him when he twisted his ankle by stepping into a, a hole one day. He could go out and cut a new staff, I guess, but it would never be the same. Throw it down, Moses. So when you think about it, God was asking Moses to throw down the one possession that was the most important thing he had. Give up your tunic, throw in a few coins, maybe even a sandal or two. That wouldn't have made much of a difference. But to throw down the rod meant to Moses giving up your means for making a living. To be without it, it would mean death in the desert well, where wild animals and poachers thrived. And as I said, how often does God ask us, bring us to a, a crisis of belief, and before we can do anything great for him, he says, give that up, throw that down, leave that behind. Get all those expectations and aspirations that you had for yourself out of your mind and trust me. Well, the Bible says that, that Moses met that command. He threw the rod down. I suspect there was a debate. There's more of a conversation between Moses and God than we have here in our Bible. We might have expected Moses to argue with himself a little bit. I depend on this rod. I need it. How am I going to survive without it? There just aren't many words recorded here for us, though, without making a big deal about the dilemma that faces Moses. We read simply, he cast it on the ground. He threw it down. Are there things that we hold on so tightly in our lives that we think bring us safety that are so important that we don't want to let go of them. Chances are, if we took a survey, we could identify here tonight some material possessions which we all consider essential to our health and well-being. Our, our home, our car, our clothing, our food, of course, our, our finances. If we narrowed it down further, I suspect the one possession that we all cling the tightest to is our money. If we had to give up all other possessions and start over, with only one material possession. After all, if we had enough money, we could buy everything back again. Although I did hear somebody say one time, 
If you have a problem and money can solve it, you don't have a problem. Because there are some problems that money can't fix. If we had to give up all of the possessions and start over with one, we would want our money. So money tends to be the one thing that we hold on to more tightly than anything else. It's the one thing that provides all the essentials and even some of the luxuries of life that we need. So we take great pains to make sure we have enough and we try to not spend it too quickly. I was talking to Gina before the service started and when we were in seminary, Susan and I made, I made $100 a week at church. And when Susan started conducting the choir, they bumped it up to $125 a week. And we thought we had more money than we knew what to do with. It's funny, the more money you make, the more things you find to spend it on, isn't it? We complain when bills come due and we have to part with some of our hard-earned money. Sometimes we try to postpone it and, and, and delay it as long as possible until the last due date. Incidentally, your county ad valorem taxes are due in nine days in case you haven't paid those yet. Maybe some people, when we pay our bills, we use somebody else's money and, um, and then borrow and then pay the minimum balance due at the end of the month. We don't realize the accruing interest and all the damage that that does. And so we have Christmas club and vacation accounts to save for anticipated annual expenses, and we have accounts for our kids' and grandkids' educations, and we have retirement accounts and IRAs and 401Ks and annuities, and these are sacred and we dare not borrow against them. And then there are those rainy day accounts, mutual funds, savings accounts, bonds, all set aside for whatever. We don't know if we'll use them. We just know we may need them someday for something. Just the security of having a nest egg just in case. Because after all, you can never have too much. And what's interesting is that we really hold on so tightly to the money we save for ourselves. But have you, have you ever noticed how freely you spend it on your children? And grandchildren. We don't hesitate to buy clothes or school supplies or anything else our kids convince us they desperately need. We go overboard at Christmas and birthdays and throughout the year. And we scrimp and save to send our kids to the best school and promise them that whatever they want to be in life, we'll be there to help them get there. And that includes helping pay for their education. And so we save our money to meet our needs, and we must, and we spend freely to provide the best possible life for our kids, and that's admirable. And we save our money for retirement and special needs in rainy days, and we should. But ask us to spend our hard-earned money on God and His church. Now that gets personal. How dare we hear what the Bible has to say about that? And yet if we do, if we have the faith to give 10% of our income to the Lord, is that all that he asks? Should we follow Jesus and trust him to meet our needs? Should we, like the widow, give our last two cents to God? What's that in your hand, Moses? Throw it down. Trust me. Moses held in his hand his most valued possession. 
and he dared to throw it down and it nearly scared him to death to be asked to pick it up. He threw it down. It turned into a snake. And Moses did what you and I startled. He ran. Just the thought of throwing down his staff gave him a stroke. It turned into a snake and he ran and you and I would have too. And then God did something even bolder. He told him to pick it back up again. And Moses and God had a little disagreement on how he should pick it back up again because God said, Pick it up by the tail. Excuse me? I said, pick it up by the tail. Lord, I know it's been a long time since you created these things. Maybe you've forgotten it's not a good idea to pick a snake up by its tail. Pick it up by the tail. I I don't want to. And we play the same game when it comes to our stewardship. We know the Old Testament standard is tithing 10% off the top given to God. We know the New Testament standard is to set aside an amount in keeping with your income, says Paul. And we hear stewardship sermons every year. And we look at our economy. Remember stories about the Great Depression. We remember 2008 too well. We look at unemployment. We think about the fact that there are economic upturns and downturns And they all come about because of the opinion of the most important person in the world. And I'm not talking about Obama. I'm talking about the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. Do you know who that is? It used to be Alan Greenspan, and then it was Bernanke, and now it's Janet Yellen. First time a female has been chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. She sets the interest rates that determine everything that happened in our country. We grow anxious. Our faith is shaken. It's not just realistic. It's it's not practical to give 10%. Maybe when I was a child and I had an allowance of 250, I could give a quarter. But now that we make more, 10% is more. We don't want to and we can't. Maybe our problem is that we think too much and believe too little. Our decision to keep more and give less say less about our financial savvy than they do about our faith. Because what we do with our money, I think, is the greatest indicator of our Christian commitment. More so than how much time we spend working, how many visitors we invite, how many good deeds we do in the community. If you want to know what a person really values, what they really believe, what their faith really looks like, look at the checkbook. How do you know you won't have enough money if you tithe? How do you know you can't afford to increase your giving? You'll never know unless you step out in faith and try. Our future lies in the hands of one person, and it's not Janet Yellen. This story reminds me of other stories in the Bible. There's one of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Why? Because to Abraham, that was the most important thing in the world to him. It signified God's blessing on him and his descendants. The long-awaited heir. To end the promise of becoming a great nation was something that Abraham struggled with. But he obeyed. 
and a great nation came into being. God asked Moses to throw down his most valuable possession to relinquish the grip on his source of living, his security. Moses obeyed, and when he did so, God told him to pick it back up again. Okay, Moses, you have given it to me. I have sanctified it. Now you can take it back. He tested him to see if he really trusted God, even in impossible circumstances, and he did. Look at what happened when Moses gave his staff to God. He gave it back and he used it for God's glory. It became a symbol from then on for the children of Israel that God was with them. With the rod, Moses held it up and parted the Red Sea. With it, he struck a rock and water poured forth to, to, to nourish the thirsty Israelites. With the rod, he oversaw the, oversaw the conquest of all the enemies that they would face in the promised land. That rod became a symbol that Moses was God's tool. And that rod was the lightning rod. It was the, the presence of God, that God's hand was on Moses. And God's testing us. Are we doing our best for him? Is he, what is he asking us to relinquish that we hold on to so tightly that interfere in what he's calling us to do? What are we not able to do because we're unwilling to, to give God our most valuable possessions? What might happen if we gave everything to God? We might not part the Red Sea, but we might open doors of opportunity for people to enter the promised land of salvation and fellowship here at church. We might not strike water that pours forth from a rock, but we might feed hungry children and families in our community who've fallen upon hard times. We may not conquer enemies, but we may provide resources to overcome obstacles standing in the way of becoming all that God's calling us to be and do here at First Baptist. When Moses threw down his rod, he didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know God was going to allow him to pick it back up. But in doing so, Moses performed miracles that have been remembered thousands of years. And when we trust God enough to throw down what we hold on to so tightly, we have no idea what to expect. But when he allows us to use his resources, we'll perform miracles that will be remembered forever in the kingdom of heaven. A young man was attending a seminar one weekend on financial stewardship and he said, I get it now. I finally get it. I get the idea of, of kingdom stewardship. It's not how much of my stuff I give to God. It's how much of God's stuff I get to keep for myself. That's it. That's what stewardship is all about. And it turns the whole concept of ownership upside down. Because it's not what we own that we give to God. It's what God owns that he entrusts to us. That young man got it. And I hope we will too. Whatever it is is in your hand that you're holding on to so tightly, let it go. Throw it down. It might be that God will allow you to pick it back up again once he has, has consecrated it and sanctified it for your use. Or it might be that you'll never need it or use it again. 
But what's important is that you've given it to God and something that interfered in that relationship has been given up. There was a man in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, you know what all the, the prophets say, what the commandments are. He said, yes, I've done all that. Jesus said, well, then sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus saw that man's heart, and he knew the staff, the rod that he was holding on to was his resources. Who knows what that rich young ruler could have done for God and been remembered for had he done what Jesus said. It might have been that Jesus would have said, you don't have to do that. I just want to know if you were willing. Or maybe he said, yes, go and do it. And then come follow me. We'll never know what might have been with that rich young ruler if he had done what Jesus called him to do and been remembered for something great instead of for walking away sorrowful. I hope none of us here tonight leave sorrowful because of our wealth and it interferes in what God wants to do. Let's bow together. Father, you have entrusted us with great resources and we are selfish and self-centered, and we're scared because economic times are frightening. The presidential election is uncertain. And the economy is at a standstill. And yet you call us just to, to trust you, to love you, to follow you. No matter what happens Tuesday, you're still going to be God and you're still going to be in control. So we pray that whatever interferes in our following you fully, <coughs> you'll reveal to each of us because undoubtedly each of us has something that no one else has. Maybe no one else even knows about that we hold on to so tightly. Let there be nothing between you and us except Jesus and his love for us and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that gives us the greatest inheritance of all, abundant life here and eternal life tomorrow. Help us live in the light of that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.